Uh, back in the 1800s, there was a young woman who was aspiring to be a concert pianist, and her young career was just beginning to bud, and, and so she bravely announced that, that she would have her own concert in her very own hometown over the holidays. But fear that it would not be a success, that no one would show up, she did something that showed a lack of integrity. It was a mistake. She decided to put on her flyer that she was a pupil of Franz Liszt. And he was a great composer and pianist of, of any day, but especially of his day, he was well known. And he was from uh, Hungary. And he just happened the day before the concert came through her town to spend a few days. Her heart fell. She knew that everybody was going to know that she had been dishonest. And not knowing exactly what to do, she just immediately went to where he was and asked if she could meet with him privately. Through tears, embarrassment, and shame, she profusely apologized. She told him of her mistake and wrong. And, and he agreed with her that she had made a terrible mistake. And he talked to her about why it was a terrible mistake. But then he also talked with her about sorrow and how you ought to be sorry for what you've done. And then he continued that by saying, and you appear that you really are. So now that we've taken care of that, I'd love to hear you play. She was caught off guard. She sat down and she tried to play and it was just mistake after mistake and she paused for a moment and, and he said, collect yourself, play again. In a few moments, she, she played again and, and it was beautiful. And at, at certain places, he would stop her and give her some pointers of what she might do and, and he would even at other times give her suggestions about key places in the, the song that she was performing. And then when she had finished... She was so excited that she had played for friends. And then his remark immediately was, now your posters are correct. Now you're a student of mine. So tomorrow, you go and you perform in your concert. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love to not only attend, I would love to take part in it. And it was a great success. There's something about kindness and goodness that's attractive to anyone. And it's interesting that in the Beatitudes, I'm sorry, in the fruit of the Spirit, we're coming to the Beatitudes tonight. In the fruit of the Spirit, it's interesting that that is a characteristic of what God wants us to produce if we truly are living our life crucified in the flesh. Look back in your scriptures. Look there at Galatians 5. And, and let's look again at Galatians 5 and 22. Look how he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he lists those things. And, and look in verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And that's our challenge is to really crucify, is to put on a cross, is to destroy, to truly take those things and put them on the cross and destroy them. Now that we destroyed them, what are we going to be? Well, now we're going to be alive, but notice where we're going to live. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So it's in this setting 
that we've been beginning each of the last three weeks now where we say the plea is if we're going to have fantastic relationships, if we're going to have healthy relationships, if, if we're going to be what God wants us to be in relationship to others, we're going to have to have the fruit of the Spirit produced in our life. That's crucifying the old man of flesh, belonging to Christ, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. That means our life literally produces the Spirit. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first two of love and joy, and we talked about that we're going to have to shatter the mirrors. We can't continue to walk around just reflecting what everybody else does. In other words, we receive our love from God, and so no matter what someone does to us to hurt us, to offend us, we still practice love toward them because we've received the love from God. We don't reflect what they do. We give what God has done. But notice that the same is true about joy. We've talked about in weeks past how happiness is also the same root in English that, that we get the word happenings, and that's a very dangerous way to live. I'm going to be happy if everything around me is happy. That's not the way God designed. We receive our joy from God, and we can be amidst some terrible storms. And even though we have to deal with those storms and we have to live among and amidst those storms, we need to have an inner peace or a joy that passes understanding that we can only have from God. This brings us to a second part of the fruit of the Spirit. And we studied last week about turning the other cheek as we looked at peace and long-suffering. We want peace in our life. The only way that's going to be is for us to be willing to suffer long at times. Quick vengeance is not the way to create peace. Many of us will be involved in relationships that there's a lot of strife. We can't live the other person's life. But what we can do is say, everything that I bring to this relationship, I'm going to bring peace I'm going to bring long-suffering. In other words, what I'm going to produce is not what I would produce if it were just up to me. I've taken the fleshly nature and I've crucified the fleshly nature. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. That brings us to our study this morning, and that is what we will call the extra mile principle. When we look at the kindness and the goodness that the Lord expects us to produce in our life... It reminds us again of a passage we looked at last week for a different verse, but we'll look at it again this week. Look, if you will, to Matthew, the fifth chapter. It's page 853, the Bible that's in your pew, if you want to read along there or either on the screen. But look in, in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Look at verse 38, 39, 40, and 41. Notice the teaching here about what God would expect of us and as we read this, I'd like for you to not only notice what it's teaching, but also think how this is so much against our human nature. In other words, if we have not crucified the flesh, we will never be able to live out these things. He says, beginning in 38, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your face, on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And here it is. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. These are challenging statements that are given here about the extra mile. Where does that come from, the idea of they compel you to walk a mile? There was a Roman tradition that was enforced that if a soldier in the Roman army was traveling along, obviously in that day and time, mostly by foot, if they were carrying their baggage or any kind of weapons 
they could turn to any citizen and they could say to them, carry these. And the citizen was obligated to carry those for a mile. So you can imagine that you had your house and what a lot of people would do is they would know immediately in each direction how far a mile was from their home. You can imagine how probably many of those individuals walked hating the fact that they were interrupted. They had things they were doing and this Roman soldier made them stop. Hating also the fact that they gave their time and their energy. They're tired. They've carried luggage for a mile now. You can imagine getting to that mile marker from their house and taking that luggage and just throwing it down and saying to that soldier, you take care of yourself from here. I fulfilled my obligation. And they walk back toward their house. And can you imagine what Jesus says? He says, once you've gone a mile because you were compelled to, now you volunteer to go a second mile. I don't know really if it's accurate for us to refer to this as an extra mile because extra almost paints a picture of it really not being that much. In other words, if you go to the, to the bakery and, and you order a dozen donuts and sometimes they throw in extra, you know the baker's dozen, sometimes they throw in extra. You order 12 and they give you 13. I'm going to guess none of you have ever been there and you order 12 and they throw in 12. You see what Jesus is teaching here? Jesus says, listen, you're going to be going about your duty and somebody is going to take advantage of you. And they're going to say, just because I can get by with it, I'm going to make you carry my luggage a mile. And the Lord says, I want you to carry it a mile. And then, instead of thinking, you know, I'll be a kind person. I'm going to walk an extra hundred yards. You remember like when Peter said to the Lord, hey, how many times should we forgive? And you remember he said seven times and the Jews never said beyond three times. And so Peter was thinking, wow, I'm really going way beyond what the Lord would want me to do. You know, you can imagine because you remember Jesus' answer to that is, I want you to forgive seven times 70. In other words, Peter, what I'm asking you to do is far, far beyond just a little extra. And so he doesn't say, I want you to, when you're compelled to take that bag and, and you walk with that individual mile, I'm not asking you, now just do a little extra. Will, will, you, will you throw in another hundred yards? He says, I want you to throw in another mile. I want you to double it. I don't think the Lord there is counting saying, I want you to make sure you get to that double point and, and then throw down the bags in rudeness again. As I studied this this week, there's something that really just kind of fell on me like a ton of bricks. You know, this passage that we've just looked at, if you want to glance at it there, 39, 40, 41, 42, I want to ask you, do you think that the teachings here in this passage are about your cheek? How much can you endure are you tough enough to let them hit one cheek and turn the other? Is it, is it just about your cheek? Or is it just about your clothes? They want your shirt? Give them your jacket too. Or is it just about your time and your energy? They want you to walk a mile? The Lord is saying, I want you to be the kind of person you're so tough you can walk two miles and show them who you are. And then when somebody wants to borrow is that the Lord is just saying, I want you to have so much money that whoever wants to borrow, just let them have it. 
Really, what's the Lord teaching here? Is He not teaching us? I want you to go all out for other people. What does it mean to you when you think of the second greatest commandment? I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to say that, that I'm not selfish? What does it mean to you to say that I believe that I should constantly be aware of other people and their needs? And not only should I just do something, I ought to do a lot more than just something. I shouldn't be the type of person that says, if you hurt me, I'm coming after you with a vengeance. I ought to be the type of person that says, I care enough about you because you're made after the image of my God that if you hurt me, I've got another cheek to be patient with you. I care enough about you that if you need my shirt, I don't care how ugly you are about it, I'll give you my jacket too. I care about you enough that even though it aggravates me that you've interrupted my day, I'll walk with you two miles if that's what you need. I'll lend to you if that's what you need. Friends, this beautiful study of the fruit of the Spirit, as, as we think about kindness and goodness, we're studying about things that people who have not crucified the flesh will never understand. You won't get your co-workers that are living by a standard that's outside the Word of God to agree that living these things are wise. You're not going to have a friend who is out in the world that says, hey, I really want to encourage you to walk the second mile with people. Why? Because this kind of goodness and this kind of kindness is the result of something. It's not literally what is produced on its own. For example, I just want to give you a quick reminder of where we've been the few weeks. You remember an orange? You can't sit down and make an orange. If you want an orange, it has to be produced by an orange tree. You want the fruit of the Spirit. You say, I want that kind of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness. I want that in my life. You can't just go out and obtain it. You can't say, I'm going to become so disciplined that I practice those things. We don't do that on our own. It's until we say, Lord, what's your will? And the Lord says, I want you to crucify self and I want you to look to me and everything. Set your eyes on things above and live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And what's going to happen? We're going to start reacting to people in a different way. And our friends in the world are going to say, are you crazy? Why do you take that? Why do you do that? And we can say, I'm under the influence. Just like someone who, when they drink, they're under the influence of alcohol. And they say things, they do things they would never do otherwise. We as Christians are under the influence of the Spirit where we literally react. And we do things that we would never otherwise do. And so we see the challenge and that challenge is, is really spelled out to us in verse 43. And look, if you will, in verse 43. And, and we're not going to have a slide for this. Uh, and, and we'll catch up to the slides in just a moment. But look in 43 of the fifth chapter. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Why? Why would we ever do those things? Notice what the, the summary is here. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. We have a challenge here of understanding this morning. Because you know, when we look at these fruitful principles that, 
that produce fantastic relationships. We're studying this morning about goodness and kindness, but we live in a world, we live in a world where the world all about us practices kindness. So, so far, what we've studied then, are you ready to just hang it up and say it's a lie? I mean, think about that. The world around us, kindness is produced by the world every day. Every day we see the world being kind. If, if you have a coworker that their house is burned and somebody in the office gets together and says, hey, let's take up some money and, and let's give them just, you know, to help them with their expenses. Does that mean they're a Christian because they said that? No. That's a very, very kind and good thing to do. But they very well may not be a Christian. When we mention Haiti and the devastation, what's made the most news? When it comes to help and aid, a lot of the news that's been made has been by gifts and time that celebrities have given. Angelina Jolene. Immediately, she donated a million dollars. A week or so later, you hear about her flying into Dominican Republic and, and making her way over to Haiti and, and spending a day there. She has become known, at least through the media, as being a goodwill ambassador. Now, would you agree that what she has done is very kind? Surely you would. To donate a million dollars? She didn't have to do that. She could have used that million dollars however she wanted, but she chose to take a million of, of her family's foundation money and donate it. She didn't have to take time out of her busy schedule to fly down and meet with people. And so now I ask you this morning, what's the difference? If the world can produce kindness, what is it that the Lord is asking of us? Is it just the same? I mean, is the Lord playing mind games with us? Hey, I'm kind of pretending like there's really a kindness that comes from me, but really you just have it naturally. I want to read to you a quote, and, and you can see it here on the screen, of what she said just to confirm the fact that you understand that she did not do this because of a relationship with God. Uh, a few years ago, she was asked, do you believe if there is a God? And this is a quote. Hmm. For some people... I hope so for them, for the people who believe in it. That's the answer. Do you believe that there is a God for the people who believe in it? I hope so. There doesn't need to be a God for me. See, she's sufficient. I don't, I don't need a God. To people that need it, I hope they have it. But I don't need it. I'm sufficient by myself. I don't feel like doing things just because people say things, but I also don't really know if it's better to just not believe in anything either. In other words, her summary is, now that you've got me thinking about it, I guess it's best just not to believe in anything. Friends, I don't say that to beat up on her. That breaks my heart. She's not our enemy she sounds like she's in the hands of our enemy. Or she doesn't know a Savior. She doesn't know an Almighty God that created her and the children that she's adopted. If she still believes what she stated there, she's committing one of the greatest forms of neglect that any parent can ever create. 
They may live in a multi-million dollar mansion and can do that several times around the world. But when we don't teach our children about the Almighty God, there's no neglect greater than that. So now I go back to this question. From her quote, we know that she did not reach out and help others around the world during the various times of devastation because she believed that it would be what God would want her to do. So how does that make you any different from her? In other words, someone who has not crucified the flesh can still go out and do a lot of good. So what is it that God is calling us to do in this goodness? And what we just read, he pointed out that the real test of goodness, whether or not you know that it's from the flesh or if it is a fruit of the Spirit, is based upon what you do in the times that you are offended. We've just read part of it, but let's continue reading. Let's look back now at 46 and read 46, 47, 48 of Matthew, the fifth chapter. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you wonder why he's mentioning tax collectors, they were simply considered the most heathen people of their day. And so do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He says, so you want to say, I'm really good and I'm really kind. You say, well, what are you basing that on? Well, my family that I love so much, I'm good and kind to them. And my neighbors that live around me, I love them so much and I'm good and kind to them. And Jesus says, can I interrupt you for a minute? What makes you any different than the heathens? Because every heathen I know, Jesus is implying here, they always are good to the people they love. So what makes you different from the heathens? Well, let's read on, 47. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that. Well, look, I'm a good, I'm a nice, I'm a kind person. I always speak to the people. You're speaking to the people you like. You're giving money to the people you like. You're taking the extra mile walk to the people you like. You're letting the people borrow from you, the ones that you like. You're giving your shirt and your jacket to the people you like. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I'm trying to teach you how to have a love, a joy, a peace, a long-suffering, a kindness and a goodness that you will literally do the very same things for the people that have just harmed you. They have just offended you and you still will practice goodness and kindness to them. Friends, I mentioned to you last week, these are hard lessons. They're not that hard to understand, but they're hard to live out because the only way it can be done is when we crucify our flesh. And we literally say, Lord, I'm about to say something that I have never said in this particular situation before. But it's going to be because it's the fruit of the Spirit and not because of me. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we do a real good of trying to crucify the flesh and then we have a real good Houdini act where when somebody really makes us mad, we slip right off the cross and we bring that flesh alive and then we're in the boat that Jesus is placing us here. 
You're like the heathens. You're like the tax collectors. You know, God went the extra mile for us. If you will, go to the book of Titus. Let's just put a few passages here together and, and start bringing this lesson around. Let's, let's look to Titus, the third chapter. I wish we had time to make a lot of the lesson about this one passage. We don't. Even what's on the screen, really, is most important. Uh, it starts before the screen. You see in the second and third chapter of Titus, the third chapter, he's talking about people that had lived an evil life. And he says that they've been speaking evil of one another and, and instead he wants them to be peaceful and gentle and showing all humility to all men. See the emphasis there? Not just to your friends, not to the people that love you, but what about the people that mistreat you? What about the people that take advantage of you? He says, I want you to show them love also. Now, now notice what he says in three, if you have your Bible open. He says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. See, he's talking about this person that hasn't crucified the flesh they're living over here in the flesh. And notice what this person that's living in the flesh does. I'm going to finish this sentence. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Are they going to do good? Yeah, to the people that do good to them. But what about the people that don't? I'm going to be hateful towards you. I'm going to hate you. And what does the Lord want us to do? Look at verse 4. Something changed in their life. Now keep in mind, what we're studying this morning is the fruit of something. You know what changed? Verse 4. But when the kindness of, and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And he goes ahead and writes about the Spirit and Jesus Christ that the Spirit came through. How would you refer to Jesus being sent to this earth? Here he refers to Jesus being sent to this earth and he says about Jesus coming, he says that is God's kindness being sent to you. Well, when did Jesus come to this earth? Remember Romans 5? God didn't look down and say, mankind, as soon as you do nice things for me, I'll do nice things to you and I'll send my son. He didn't. Romans 5 said he sent him while we were enemies, while we were separated from him. And so we see a wonderful example here of God's loving kindness. And then in Matthew, the 25th chapter, we see our example of on the day of judgment, the Lord's going to be concerned. Did you have goodness and did you have kindness that you showed to other people? And remember those on the right were those who uh, they were hungry and, and thirsty and they were given food and drink and they were given clothing and they were given visits as they were sick and in prison. And he gives all this list. And remember, the ones responded by saying, Lord, when did we see you like that? And Jesus' answer is, it's not just me. When you help the least of these, my brethren, you've helped me. In other words, it's not, did you do this for the people you know, for the people that love you, for the people that respect you? Did you do it for everyone? That's the challenge is, are we willing to reach out to everyone? I'd like to close by giving you this example of Barnabas. And if you would like to turn to Acts the 11th chapter, I'd like for us to read one passage there. In Acts the 11th chapter, in verse 24, we have a description of Barnabas. And as we read this verse... There are going to be two words that have been key to today's study. I'd like for you to notice what they are and then ask yourself, are you surprised that these two are found in the same verse? And of course, it's no surprise. We're going to see these two together over and over and even today in our own lives. Look at the description of Barnabas. We're in the 24th verse of Acts, the 11th chapter. Here's the description of him. For he was a good man. Kindness and goodness... Barnabas, what kind of man are you? He says he is a good man, full of what? 
the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And that's describing because of the work that he did in Antioch. It's no surprise, is it? That here's a man who lived his life full of the Spirit. In other words, he lived his life in the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. He crucified the flesh. He belonged to Jesus Christ. And because he was living that life, what do you expect? He lived such a life that the fruit that was produced literally created a reputation that you say, how, how are we going to explain to somebody what kind of man Barnabas is? And you say, you just have to call him a good man. Well, what does someone that lives that good life, that produces that fruit of kindness... On this next slide, we will not cover it except just to mention it. If you want to go back this afternoon or later this week and study where Barnabas appears in the book of Acts, it is an amazing and beautiful and simple study to see what is the fruit of that goodness and kindness of a man who's lived his life in the Spirit. We see first in the fourth chapter that when he apparently didn't have any more money to give, but yet he wanted to help people, he sold property so that he would have more to give. Who would do that? Somebody that's living in the spirit of goodness and kindness. And then we see when Saul was converted to Christ, remember he had been a persecutor of Christians, and when he came back into Jerusalem, the, the Christians scattered, and it was Barnabas that stood between Saul and the Christians, and he convinced them to forgive him, and to give him a chance, and to accept him. Why? That was just a fruit that was produced in, because of the spirit that, that lived and dwelt within Barnabas. And when we see in the 11th chapter, the, that's the verse we just read from, whenever the church in Jerusalem heard that there were Gentiles that were really interested in learning more about the Lord, who are they going to send? Keep in mind, they're Jews. There's still some friction between Jews and Gentiles. Who are we going to send up there? Send Barnabas. He's a good man. He'll accept them and he'll help them grow. And he did in a wonderful way. And then you remember what we oftentimes call Paul's first missionary journey? Remember in the 13th chapter, the Holy Spirit called out the church to send two men. The Holy Spirit chose who those two men would be. The Holy Spirit chose Saul and Barnabas. No doubt because they loved souls. Because they cared about others. Kindness and goodness. This morning... Let's make sure that we don't just set the bar of goodness and kindness where we would by nature, where the world sets it. There's a lot of people in the world that are kind and generous to the people around them that are kind and generous. What the Lord calls us to do is to keep that bar set just as high even when dealing with those who offend us. That's a challenge. That's a challenge nobody here will do by nature. It's only if it's produced by the Spirit of God. This morning, are you saved? If you're a believer, willing to repent of sins, confess before men, but yet you haven't been immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, why not begin that relationship with God this morning? We'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you. Maybe along the way, you have become a Christian, but you've lost that way. You realize that, that your life doesn't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And you're sorry for that and you want to make those wrongs right. There's not anybody here perfect. There's not anybody here that can say that those things we're studying about the fruit of the Spirit. I, I've always had that down. Nobody can claim that. But we all must claim that that is our mark. And when we fail, we seek God's forgiveness and get up again and keep our eyes on Him.
If we can help you in any way comes, we stand as we sing. Lift up your voice, leave with him your care, and begin life anew. Kneel at the cross, leave every care. Kneel at the cross, Jesus will meet. the cross there is room for all who would his glory share bliss there awaits harm can ne'er befall those who are anchored there kneel at the cross leave every care will meet you there. Kneel at the cross. this morning again for being here. Uh